Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you, please, to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Today, uh, we begin uh, in our liturgical calendar, we begin what, uh, what is known in the liturgical calendar as year C, uh, or the year in which we focus on the third of the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And so today and through 2013, we're going to be reading from Luke, learning from Luke, and, uh, and growing uh, together through uh, the Gospel according to St. Luke. And we are on chapter 21 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. And the Gospel that was read today uh, is verse 25 through 31, but all of the Gospel, all, all of chapter 21 really is, is uh, relevant to what I want to be teaching uh, today. Uh, let me begin by, by simply making a statement that, that I think you all need to think about and agree on. Uh, Jesus Christ is our hope, isn't he? He is our hope. Um, without Jesus Christ, really, there is no hope. We have no hope. Uh, and we are lost forever. Jesus Christ is our hope, and he is our only hope. We stand in no one else. We stand with no one else. We stand in no other name than the name of Jesus. Uh, the book of Acts, uh, the apostles say that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. No other name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no one else. There is no other hope. There is no other place. There is no other one. Jesus Christ is our hope, and we look to no one else. Only through him, through his sacrifice, we have access to the Father, and we have access to eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ. In a few moments, we're going to be singing a, a, a hymn or a song that we're all very familiar with. We have sung it many, many times. We're going to sing it actually during communion time. And it's a, a song that I'm sure you all will recognize just simply by the title. The title is In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. And the first line of that song, the first line just says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And he has four stanzas. And the last stanza at the very end of the song, uh, it ends with these words. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Jesus Christ came down from heaven. Jesus Christ out of the love of the Father and out of the love of that he himself had for us, uh, abandoned all of the glories that you can possibly imagine in heaven. Being God and no one else but him, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All the angels, all the creatures of heaven, all of creation bowed down to Almighty God. There is nothing beyond God in all of the glories of heaven. 
He is it. He is the one and the source of all that ever has existed and will ever exist. And yet he abandons that perfect place of glory and worship and he takes on the form of man. He takes form, the form of a human being with all of the necessities of humanities, with all of the pains and the aches and the sorrows and the betrayals and all that we go through, Jesus takes it on and we are moving toward that day on Christmas Day when we celebrate the Incarnation. Jesus' abandonment of glory to take on this life and this humanity. We know from all that we read in Scripture that Jesus lived, suffered in many respects, thirst, hungered, was persecuted, was insulted. And we know that Jesus Christ died ultimately on a cross outside of the city of Jerusalem in a hill called Calvary, Golgotha. And there he was crucified from his hands and from his feet after having received enormous amount of cruel punishment. But we also know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That Jesus rose victorious because death nor Satan nor any malady of man could hold him down. That Jesus Christ rose victorious. And we also know because the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. He ascended to heaven in bodily form. And he is now seated at the right hand of God to continue his ministry for you and for me, a ministry of intercession. A ministry that whatever prayer we pray in the name of Jesus, he's there at the right hand of the Father interceding for us I kind of see it as him speaking to the Father and saying, that's one of mine, Father. Hear his prayer. Father, I'm interceding for him, for her. I'm interceding for that group of, of people. I'm interceding in the heavenly of heavens, in the holy of holies, in the heavenly realm. I'm interceding for these people. I am mediating for them. I am representing them in heaven. And that is the ministry that Jesus has today in our behalf. We also know, because of Scripture, that Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is returning into this earth. And we say in the creed every Sunday when we say the creed that his kingdom will have no end. Amen? He is coming back and his kingdom will have no end. Uh, two weeks ago, I had the pleasure of teaching you and preaching on the end times. Uh, we looked at what Jesus had to say about the signs of the end. 
And I explained to you what Jesus meant when he said the abomination of desolation that would sit in the temple. And I took you to the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, and I explained to you the 70 weeks that are prophesied there in Daniel and how they break down and so on. And you can go back to that uh, to that sermon in our website, and you can re-listen to it again. Um, we looked at some of the signs that Jesus was talking about that we should not be ignorant about. And um, at that time, or today in particular, I want to kind of continue looking at that sermon if the first sermon of Jesus was known as the Sermon on the Mount, where he taught about discipleship, this sermon is called the Olivet Discourse, or the Olivet Sermon, or the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. And it is the Sermon on the End Times. And, and I want to continue looking at that, but I want to focus today more than anything on Jesus' second coming. We, we talked about the signs of the time, the catastrophic signs of the time, and, and all of that. But I, today I want to focus on the second coming of Christ. Uh, as, as I've indicated before, uh, Jesus is, according to Matthew and Mark and even Luke, uh, he is at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is to the east of the city of Jerusalem, across from the Kidron Valley, and the Mount of Olives is about 200 or so feet above uh, Mount Zion or about the, uh, above the Temple Mount. So it's in a higher plain and you can see across the Kidron Valley and you can see the beauty of the Temple. And one of the disciples have come to Jesus and said, look at how beautiful the Temple is. Um, you know, we would say the same thing about churches today. Look at how beautiful my church is. Uh, and Jesus said, there will be not one stone that will remain upon another. And then the disciples come and say, Lord, tell us when this will be and what are the signs of the time. And he begins the discourse from the Mount of Olives. And he begins to tell us about signs in the heavens and signs on the earth. And these signs, people, are cataclysmic, cataclysmic signs. And Jesus is in agreement with all of the description of the prophets about the terrible and great day of the Lord. Listen, we tend to say, I can't wait till Jesus comes. I have to tell you that the day of the Lord is not going to be a pretty day. The, the cataclysmic things that Jesus is describing about the end times should be scary enough. To cause us a lot of concern. And yet I have to say to you. Because the word of God is true. It will take place. And we should not be ignorant of those things. Jesus wanted his disciples then and now. To be aware and to see the signs of the time. And be prepared and to be at work. Not idle. But to be at work in his name. Um. At that time that I preached uh, about two weeks ago, I gave you 
uh, some passages of Scripture that I'm just going to put up in the screen, and you can, you can read them. The one is from Isaiah 13, uh, 9 through 10. Uh, you can please make a note of that and look it up in your own time. I also uh, shared with you at that time the prophet Zephaniah, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And we dealt with what Jesus himself has to say about those times in Mark 13, 19 through 20. We dealt with each of these places. And if I just read the Mark 1 for you, for in those days there will be tribulations such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened those days. When you read what Jesus had to say, when you read what the prophets prophesied, the day of the Lord is a terrible day that leads into a, the worst tribulation this world has ever seen. We have seen catastrophic events in our lives, and we have heard of catastrophic events through history. Whether it's the destruction of Pompeii by, uh, by a terrible earthquake, whether it is uh, the destruction of the temple in Judea by Titus in 70 AD, uh, whether it is uh, what Hitler did to the Jews, whether it is the atomic bomb that we see or the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, we've seen situations in our own lives or have heard through history of things that, that just put our skin to, uh, to tremble. And yet the Lord Jesus is talking about a time that has never been before and will never ever be again. And that it wasn't because the Lord intervenes and cuts the day short, even the believers would not be able to survive such a terrible time. The terrible time of the Lord and the end times. But in the midst of Jesus describing all that he describes in the Gospels, in the midst of that description that, that should cause consternation on all of us, there is this beautiful and wonderful ray of light that he tells us about. Uh, Jesus tells us that he's coming again. In the midst of the terror, Jesus lets a light shine like no other light that can possibly shine. And he says to us, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, don't look down. Don't be cast down. Look up. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the redemption of the Word of God against all the enemies of God. It is the redemption of all believers who are persecuted through time. It is the redemption of all who believe in Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ is the day of redemption. And the vindication of all that we believe. Of all that we stand for. Of all that we choose versus other things we tend to sacrifice. Because a believer has to sacrifice things in order to be a true believer. We can't be in both camps. I want to remind you before we even look at this issue of Jesus' second coming. Of what Luke himself 
has to say to us in the book of Acts. If you remember the book of Acts, Jesus, after the resurrection, he appeared to the disciples for 40 days. And during 40 days, he taught them and he preached the kingdom of God and he spent time with them, bringing to their minds more of what he had taught them. And then, and then he took them someplace. Where did he take them? Where did he take the disciples? Come on, somebody. Where did they go from Jerusalem? And he said, tarry here. He took them to the Mount of Olives. He took them to the Mount of Olives. And it is in the very Mount of Olives that Jesus begins to ascend right before them. And he begins to ascend into thin air until he gets caught up in the clouds and he disappears from their sight. And there appears two angelic figures speaking to the disciples. And it says in Acts 1, uh, Acts 1 verse 9, While they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus, not another Jesus, not another body. The same body with the crucifixion marks in him, who is in heaven right now as our intercessor, will return in the clouds, but with power and great glory, with angels and archangels, and with the sound of the trumpets. And he will come, according to prophecy, from the east, from the Mount of Olives, where he ascended, he will return. I want to talk to you about that second coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, you and I have probably heard about Jesus' second coming before. And we sometimes say, yes, Lord Jesus, come. In fact, the book of Revelation ends with the words, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, I would assume... Some of us, if not all of us, believe this in theory. But imagine for a moment that one particular day you're walking down the streets. And all of a sudden there is such a tremendous commotion in the heavens. And all of the heavens clears up and opens up as if the day that Jesus was baptized. And the glory of God is visible in heaven. And you see the second coming of Jesus Christ. All our theory of faith becomes the reality of our faith. And we need to live in the reality of faith. Because some of us think it will not happen. 
I know there are people in church saying it will take a long time. That will not happen. Folks, the Word of God is true. And the Word of God is reliable. And the Word of God will be fulfilled. Not one iota, not one little tilt will pass away from the Word of God that it will not be fulfilled. And the second coming of Jesus Christ will be a historical event. Historical in time and geography and historical in that nothing will compare to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into this earth because he said he would. As you saw him go up, you will see him come down in the clouds and his kingdom will have no end. I want to share with you about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because I don't want you to be ignorant at all. And I I want to share with you what is it that we know from Scripture about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to go to Scripture because we don't have any other revelation than the revelation of Scripture. It's not about what Father Jose thinks or what anybody else thinks. It is about what Scripture tells us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. If the Scriptures say it, I bank my faith in it. And I teach you as one who believes those Scriptures will take place. So what do I know? What do I find reliable in Scripture about the second coming of Christ? Well, Jesus, when He was talking about the signs of the end... One of the things Jesus said was, when they tell you that the Christ is there, don't believe it. When he tells you that the Christ is in Africa, don't believe it. When he tells you that the Christ is in Van Nuys, don't believe it. Because one of the signs of the day is that many will try to deceive you. There will be false teachers, and there will be false prophets, and there will be false Christs. That will arise. And it doesn't matter where people tell you that Christ is. There's some guy in Florida that claims to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Bologna. That's a theological term. (laughs) Don't believe it. Jesus clearly says not to believe it. In fact, uh, one of the things Jesus says is that when he comes, he will be seen by all. From the east to the west. The coming of Jesus Christ will not be secret. It will not, oh, Jesus came in secret. He's in Africa. Oh, Jesus came in secret. He's now appeared in Asia. No, Jesus is in America. He's in the mountains of of Wisconsin. Do not believe it. When Jesus Christ comes, he will be seen visibly by all people. And no one will be able to deny that it is the Lord of glory coming in the heavens. With no secrecy, with no hiddenness. He will reveal himself completely and totally. One of the things Jesus said is that he will be seen by all. From the east to the west. No secrets. There'll be no doubt. There'll be no doubt. That it is our Lord coming back in glory. The second thing I find in scripture. That it says that when Jesus Christ comes. All that see him 
will mourn. And I have to tell you, I think that refers, at least for me, it refers to unbelievers, and it also refers to believers. I think the day I see Jesus Christ coming in the clouds, I will mourn for what we did to him. I will mourn that it was my sin that caused his crucifixion. I will mourn for what he had to go through for my salvation. And I will mourn, and the whole earth will mourn for what we did to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the unbelievers will mourn in terror because they have not believed in him, and now they see him. There will be an earthwide mourning and sorrow that we treated the King of Kings as we have treated him and as we treat him today. There will be a general mourning. The third thing that Scripture tells us is when Jesus comes again, he will come in power and great glory. Not like he came on Christmas. He came on Christmas as a humble, widely worldwide ignored birth. He came on Christmas as a sacrificial lamb. He came on Christmas as a baby born in a cave really made for animals and placed in a manger. Jesus Christ came the first time in all humility. Jesus Christ will come the second time in all power and all glory with all the hosts of heaven, with the sound of the trumpet, and with the authority of the mighty, almighty King. He will come in glory and in power. That's what Scripture tells me. His second coming will not be like the first. Thirdly, or fourthly, it tells, the Scripture tells me That when Jesus Christ comes, there will be a gathering of believers with him in the heavens. There will be what what is termed in scripture as the rapture. Scripture speaks about when Jesus appears in glory, there will be people taken out out of this earth. Taken out by force is the, the word that is used is taken out by such power that men could not be, uh, be able to avoid it. We'll be raptured. We'll be pulled out. We'll be pulled up into the heavens. There will be a gathering of all believers in the heavens. The rapture of the church. And all believers will be with the Lord in heaven. The other thing that he tells us in scripture. Is that no one knows the day or the time. So please don't listen to those soothsayers that keep telling you what day it will be. I think it was about a year ago or a couple of years ago we were all dealing with uh, was a Harold Campy uh, who was uh, proclaiming Jesus was coming December of last year. And now everybody's talking still about December the 12th, the Mayan calendar. People, Jesus Christ will come when the Father wants him to come. Jesus Christ says that no one knows the day or the time. 
Not even the angels of heaven and not even him. Because it's to the Father who will say, now. I don't think the day is preset. I think that's why nobody knows it. Because it's not preset until the Father says, today is the day of redemption. And so nobody can tell you when or Jehovah Witnesses claimed at least five different times that Jesus was coming. They've stopped doing it because they are false. But we know from Scripture that when Jesus Christ comes, that day is not known by anyone. But we do are told that it will be a surprise. It will be a surprising day. No one is totally ready for that day. In fact, the term that Paul uses and even Jesus uses is that he will come as a thief in the night. And no one prepares for the thief. Everybody thinks about the thief. We all put alarms in our cars and alarms in our houses. And we guard ourselves as to where we go. And we take precautions. But nobody knows the day that somebody will break into our house. Or break down a window in our car right in front of our house. And steal things inside. The Lord will come and he will surprise everyone as a thief in the night. But he will come. And we do need to be ready. The other thing that we are told in Scripture is that this thing is going to happen without much preparation. In fact, he says it will be in the twinkling of an eye. You blink once and that's how fast it's going to be. It will be so fast. It will be Jesus coming in power and authority and he will appear in glory and the rapture of the church will happen in, in the twinkling of an eye. The other thing that scripture says, especially St. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, St. Paul says that the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. All who have preceded us to the presence of the Lord, of all who have preceded us to the ground, and the bodies are buried in the ground, but their spirit belongs to Jesus Christ, all those people will rise first. They will not be second. They will not let be left in the ground. Hades will turn over their dead. The sea will turn over their dead, and death will be conquered in the mighty way in which Jesus comes. And all who are believers and have died before the second coming will in that twinkling of an eye, in that very moment, rise from the ground and ascend into heaven to meet the Lord in, in the sky, to meet the Lord in the heavens. But then St. Paul also says that after they are risen from the dead, at the sound of the trumpet, at the appearance of the King of Kings, those who are alive at that moment, those who are alive at that moment will be transformed. Will be transformed. Meaning, he speaks about flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body was made by God to live solely within his earth creation. This body cannot exist outside of this atmosphere. 
So this body will need to be transformed into a new body. The glorified body of the resurrection that Jesus was the first fruit of. As his body was able to ascend in the Mount of Olives because he had a glorified resurrected body. Our bodies will be changed into that kind of resurrection body. And we will ascend into the heavens to be with the Lord wherever the Lord is and forever. That is what will take place on the day that Jesus Christ comes. And I put, I put passages up there. I, I hope you take notes of them. I hope you go back and look at them to see everything that ought to be known. But I want to say to you one last thing. I look forward to the day of Jesus' second coming. But I also know that it's not going to be a pretty sight. Jesus speaks about two people being in the field. One is taken and the other one remains. He talks about two men working and one is taken and the other one remains. And if I am a believer that lost my neighbor, I have to be concerned for the one that's left behind. It will not be a pretty sight to see the believers ascend to heaven and see people we love and work with every day and our family members and they are forever lost because we were idle as we waited for the second coming. I think we need to be active. I think we need to be very active. I think we need to be proclaiming the gospel. Jesus Christ, by the way, let me say this to you. There are passages of scripture that says that we will all stand in the presence of God to be judged too. I don't think we'll be judged as to whether we're saved or not. I think our salvation is secure. But I think the Lord will hold us accountable for the things we didn't do with his gospel. I think he will ask us, what did you do with your gift? What did you do with the church that I entrusted to you? What did you do with what I asked you to do? The ministries I put in your hands, the people that came across you, I will hold you responsible for those that are lost. If they're lost because they didn't want to hear, that's their problem. If they're lost because you didn't want to hear me, that's your problem. I think the second coming of Christ, as beautiful as it sounds, and as much as we want it to be, it will also be a day glorious, but a day that will usher in judgment and tribulation like we've never seen before. And those that remain behind will go through a terrible tribulation time until the Lord comes to the end. The book of Revelations, the last three chapters of the book of Revelations, 19, 20, and 21, and 22, I believe there are 22 chapters or maybe 21. I, I think there's 22. I'm not sure. But just read the last three or four chapters of the book of Revelation. And it tells you how God takes us back to a, an Eden type of... of we, we return to a time of communion like we've, we've lost in the garden. We lost it by our sins. We are returned to a, a, a place where we are in communion with God and with one another. But it speaks of a time when the books will be open. 
and those whose names are not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire where Satan is and the beast is and the Antichrist is. And until Jesus Christ comes, the church must not fall asleep. The church has a job to do for the glory of God until he returns. Yes, I want Jesus to come. I want to be with my Father forever and ever and ever. But I cannot be negligent that during this period of wait, I must be active. I must be active to the glory of God. I must be active in my life, in my growth, in my discipleship. And I must be active in telling others that Jesus Christ loves them too. And they can have the same end that we would have. Jesus Christ is coming again because Jesus said so. The tribulation will be experienced. The signs will be there. But in the midst of all that cataclysmic situation, a ray of light appears in the heavens and it's Jesus Christ coming back for the believers that they may be with him forever. So church, be aware. Do not be ignorant. And do not be idle. We have much to do. But because I don't know when the day will be, it could be tomorrow, it could be today, it could be a hundred years from now. That's in the Lord's arms and in the Lord's heart. I just trust that he is in charge. In the meantime, do our work. Let's do our work. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is coming.